Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Richard is the founder of 10 Adventures, a travel startup that provides affordable, personalized, and private travel vacations with a focus on active and adventure travel. He gets the most joy knowing that he's helping people to create the experiences that end up as the photos on their walls, the stories that are told at family reunions, and the memories that last a lifetime. He has spent his career in high-growth startups and scale-ups, though he's happiest exploring the world with his wife and three kids. Please welcome Richard from 10 Adventures. Richard, uh, welcome to Let's Take This Outside. Thank you so much for, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm excited for uh, for the chat today. I feel like we have like so much in common, so I'm looking forward to kind of diving into this. But like, I'm going to jump right into it. Where did your love of nature first begin? Probably like a lot of a lot of Canadians going camping as a kid, and and I grew up thinking everyone went camping on weekends. Everyone had thousands of square kilometers of wild nature with you know no roads. Uh, in my case, it was all these national parks in the Rocky Mountains, but. Uh, yeah, you know, we didn't have a ton of money. So our holidays as a kid were taking our absolutely dilapidated tent trailer that literally was a tent on a trailer in a bed with just wood and some poles and just heading out to the Rocky Mountains and running around like an idiot for, you know, for all weekend. And I just loved, I loved that experience. Where I realized kind of as an adult, I love this was after university, I did kind of the two or three month trip through Europe and saw all the sites. And I went to Chamonix because I'd always, you know, I'd, I'd heard of Chamonix for ski racing, but I like I wasn't a, a hiker or a backpacker or anything. I went to Chamonix for a day and I stayed seven days and just absolutely fell in love with like, I went hiking every day and did hikes I'd, you know, longer than I'd ever gone. I just said, this is like the most incredible experience and kind of changed the rest of my trip. So I went to, I went to Innsbruck and in Austria and uh, St. Moritz in Switzerland and I was like, I really, really enjoy going out and hiking all day and then coming back to a grubby little hostel. And uh, that kind of changed all the holidays I took took from there. I then went to work in England and living in London, I really struggled with how busy it was. And so I remember just sitting there, I was like getting like anxious, just it was really intense coming from small town Calgary. And I was in a bookstore and there was a little like a pamphlet, like 15 great walks around London. I thought, I'm just going to go do one of these. And then I ended up doing all 15 of those and then I did more. And then that was kind of like, oh, this is a really nice, nice thing to do. I started walking to work or then I started rollerblading to work, which I can't imagine what an idiot I looked like rollerblading in central London with my helmet, my elbow pads and all that kind of stuff. The rest of my office, like they totally mocked me mercilessly. But yeah, I just kind of, I kind of fell into this and I just, I didn't even realize how important it was to my life until you know, I kind of started to kind of reconnect with friends when I moved back to Canada and they hadn't kind of done the same journey. I assumed they'd all kind of found the outdoors and were snowshoeing, ski touring, backpacking, trekking, hiking, cycling. And then they were still golfing, drinking beer and talking about televisions. So uh, still a lot of fun, but yeah, I, I realized I was kind of the outcast who loved, you know, loved going to the mountains now all of a sudden. Did you, you know, when you moved around, did you always just go back to Calgary? Did you just always go back to that area or did you live anywhere else in Canada? Well, I did a contract in Montreal. I did a contract in Buenos Aires, worked in London, came back, then did my master's in London, went to school in Boston. So I've kind of like traveled a bit and I kept coming back to Calgary and I, I don't, 
you know, I wasn't in love with Calgary as a city. You know, when you're younger, you want the big lights and the exciting lifestyle. But we came back in 2010 just because when we looked around the world, like what has the characteristics that are really good to raise a family? And Calgary, just from our analysis, this was before it won all these awards, but it was like good schools, good healthcare, lots of nature close to the mountains. Yeah, we came back thinking it would be a couple of years. And here we are 12, 13 years later. And we keep thinking we can go anywhere. Like we're a t- totally remote company. And it's just so hard to leave what we have here. We live near this massive kind of inner city park where we can go walking for hours in nature, an hour from the mountains. And so it's, um, yeah, it's just this easy, easy lifestyle if you like the outdoors in Calgary. I, I do relate Calgary to Ottawa a little bit. There's like a ton of amazing green space. We don't have the Rocky Mountains. We have like great hiking in Quebec and also in Ontario. Um, but I think like you, like it's so important to me to be near a bike trail so I can get into nature even quicker, right? So um, I, I know that Calgary is like that prime place, not only for nature itself in Calgary, but you're so close to the most epic landscape <laughs> in Canada possible. Yeah, yeah. It, it's again, I always thought everybody had this and uh, after traveling all over the world, like what we have is just so special. It's one of the largest kind of natural places on earth, like the Amazon. It's bigger, but most, most places are crisscrossed with lots of roads and, and cities and towns and people and four by four tracks. And we have just, you know, we have one, one road going kind of north south and one road going east west. And that's it. There's Banff you know, the t- tiny village of Lake Louise and then Jasper up north. And uh, yeah, it's just this incredible, incredible place that we have. And it's so rugged, so wild. The mountains are so spectacular. The seasons are so dramatic. It goes from, you know, scorching hot in summer to freezing cold in winter. And uh, yeah, I assumed everyone had this, but it's just this incredible thing we have here, here in this part of Canada. And it's it's like, it's everywhere though, as you say, there's this incredible nature in Quebec, in Ottawa, and the Atlantic provinces up north, it's even more dramatic and, you know, even more remote. But we're really fortunate to live in this incredible country. How old are your kids? Eight and a half, 10 and 12. And so a big aspect for, for me has been like to let them appreciate nature. So we failed, I think, four years in a row just to go camping. You know, trying to go camping with little kids that wouldn't sleep was was terrible. But this year we had two milestones. We had a backpacking day where we went 20 kilometers and also backpacking day where the kids climbed a thousand meters. So for me, those were like two massive milestones where like my pack's gone from about a hundred liters down to 60 liters. So the kids are now carrying more than just their stuffies. And yeah, just, <laughs> just to go out and spend three days with like no distractions. So there's no, you know, can we, can we go on YouTube? Can we watch a movie? Can we do whatever? It's just the five of us together with, with, you know, with each other and having like incredible discussions and laughing and joking. And for myself, not to have texts or emails or work. It's like the greatest gift for a family is just to have this distraction free time. Do you have any maybe goals with your your wife after the kids are, you know, long gone? Do you have any goals to like move to like Golden or like Banff or Jasper? Or do you have anything like that where you just want to like just live in a little cabin <laughs> somewhere in the middle of nature. I I would love that, but actually, what we talk about is like just going to do a grand journey. So I interviewed this couple on my podcast. The guy was actually called Richard. They were walking seven thousand kilometers across Europe, and they're in their seventies. And I'm like, that is like so inspirational. So from April to late September every year, they're just out walking. From they started in 
uh, southern Portugal and they're going all the way to Cyprus. And that's like, that's the journey I want to do. My wife loves traveling. You know, we, we, the hardest part with kids was we couldn't travel for five or six years. Uh, but we talk about doing these great overland journeys and just going really slow and just exploring all these places we've been and we want to go again or places, you know, we've only read about and want to want to see with our own eyes. What did your life kind of look, you, you just kind of described it, but what did your life and your job look like before you started Ted Adventures? I'd kind of been in, in startups or scale-ups, so like kind of fast-growing companies my entire career. Before Ted Adventures, I had joined a company as an analyst. When it was about 15 people, we'd grown it to 425 people. I'd become the chief operating officer. I still own a part of the company. And so this, you know, tremendous, you know, success as a company. While I was doing that, there was always a little, little bit of me that said, this just doesn't feel right. From the outside, it's super successful. But for me, it, it wasn't kind of my dream, if that makes sense. And I think there's lots of people, we get into a career, we're good at, at what we do, you get promoted, you do more, and you end up having this, this life that was kind of just, you graduate university with a degree that you chose when you're 18, when you didn't know anything. And uh, I remember I had three children at home and I was going to work every day. I was leaving at 7.30, getting back at 5.30. And uh, every day I said, this was a terrible, terrible deal for me. Like if this was just one decision, I got money in exchange for time with my kids, which when it's like, they're really, they're really at a special time. And I kept kept thinking like, this is a terrible trade. This was a terrible trade. Like I'm not super money oriented, like money's nice, but it's not like, I don't want to drive a million dollar car or have, you know, hundred thousand dollar watches or whatever. Like my needs are are fairly simple. I just want a nicer tent. I just want a nicer tent, nice <laughs> boots. That's all I want. Yeah. Like once you buy good stuff also, it never, it never degrades. So like I still have an Arcteryx coat from 2004 and I love it. And it's like, it's 20 years now. Uh, I advocate buy good gear it lasts you forever. Um, so even then it's like, well, I got good gear, you know, years ago. So uh, yeah, so I was just sitting there kind of thinking I'm making the wrong decision, but I didn't know what to do. And then there was a book by one of my professors uh, called How Will You Measure Your Life? And so the professor's name is Clay Christensen. He's famous for all these really famous like str- business strategy books. And then he wrote a book, How Will You Measure Your Life? Which was kind of dedicated to all his students that focus only on their career. And he was trying to share there's way more than just where you work and how much money you make. And so for me, that just kind of changed my life because I really, really resonated with his stories about family and friends and lifestyle. And that kind of started the change to where I am now. I never predicted having 10 adventures and being like a, a travel tech company, but uh, I took the first step and that's that's usually the hardest step. Did you see a hole in the market when it came to adventure travel? Like what kind of made it successful in the early days, if that's what it's successful now? Where did you see the need that you thought, oh, I can fill this hole in this market? Yeah. So I wanted to get fit after working so hard and uh, having young kids and kind of like totally ignoring everything for five years. And I wanted to go out hiking. I hadn't kind of gone hiking since we had kids. Like we'd go to Canmore and do walks along the river, but nothing hard. And uh, I'd go online and think, oh, let me find a new hike I haven't done. And every time I'd find a link on Google, it would be, you know, a person's blog where they talk about what they ate and what their dog did, but they wouldn't tell you where to park your car. They wouldn't tell you if there was exposure or how long it was, or you'd find other sites where they'd kind of give you one paragraph about it. And, you know, it was just, it was really hard to figure out which, which hikes I wanted to do. 
So I said, oh, you know, I want to get back into tech. Let me just do like a, a portfolio project where I'll make a simple website, get some traffic. And when I go to find a new job, I can move back to tech because I really enjoyed working in, in technology. And so I went from Jasper down to Montana and just rehiked my 10 favorite hikes and put a simple website and said, here's where you park your car. Here's what the difficulty is. Here's what the risks are. And here's a really good route guide, essentially recreating like physical guidebooks that I, I love. And yeah, I put that up for Jasper National Park around Lake Louise, the rest of Banff, around Canmore, the Kananaskis and Glacier National Park. Just thinking, oh, this will be whatever. And then it kind of just took off. People really resonated with the simplicity and the information. Then people said, hey, can I, you know, I used your site when I was in the Canadian Rockies. I'm going back to, you know, wherever to, you know, the Dolomites or Chamonix or England. Can I, can I send you my 10 favorite hikes? And we went from these five or six regions to 40, then 60, then 80, then 100, all over North America and Europe. We even had somebody from Peru, somebody from Nepal. And that was really the genesis of, oh, people really want this kind of high quality information. If you look at what's going on now, you know, if you search Google, it's almost all junk. It's all written by chat GPT, or it's written by people who have no knowledge. They've never been to the place because there's just content farms all over the world. Uh, so we solved that in 2015 or 2016. And what we found is once we had all these different places, then people would email and say, hey, Richard, can you be our guide? We're going to go to the Amalfi Coast or we're going to go to Chamonix. We want to do the Tour de Mont Blanc. And it was weird. Like every few days I get an email, somebody asking me to be their guide. And I'm just this, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my pajamas with three kids screaming here in Calgary thinking, oh, obviously there's another need that people, people want more than just instructions. They want someone to help plan their trip. And so at the end of 2018, decided to build a platform that we can connect our audience of adventure travelers with really incredible guides around the world. And so we launched that just in time for COVID. <laughs> Perfect timing. Also, as you're talking about this too, it reminds me a lot. Lee McAdam was the person yeah, yeah. who recommended you, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee's great. Yeah, Lee's, Lee's one of those like high quality people who's been creating good content for a very long time. So Yeah, so there are people that, that do great content, but unfortunately that's not the norm. And it's just, there's just, if you go on and search anything, there's just... You know, people are trying to work out the algorithm and, you know, they're paying someone seven bucks to write an article on what to do in Golden. And the person's never been in Golden. They're not outdoors people. They don't know anything about the Rockies. They're just searching other articles and you read it. You're like, this is crazy. Like, this is not, this, this is not valuable. But, you know, Google's algorithm, you know, sometimes can't discern what's good and what's not. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. 
Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside. Now has a newsletter. Keep up to date with outdoor news, events, and great discount codes and deals from our partners. Sign up today at Let's Take This Outside. What kind of people reach out to you and sign up for Ten Adventures? Is it beginners or people who don't have confidence in maybe navigating things, or is it people who are experienced, and or is it just a wide range of people who sign up? So when we started this, we assumed it'd be people who, a lot of people who are new to doing an adventure. So they want to do their first bike tour, their first trek. Uh, we do get a lot of those, especially with bike tours. There's so many people that bought e-bikes in the pandemic and realized, hey, I'm a bike tour. And so they've never been on a bike trip before, but they want to do their first e-bike tour. But a lot of people that use 10 Adventures are people that their time is really valuable for them. And going on holiday, they don't want like a mistake to happen. So they've had experiences where they've planned it themselves and then something goes wrong or they miss like, you know, if you're planning a trip somewhere, you're not an expert in that area. And so you plan a trip and you realize, oh, I just, I just missed like a really cool stuff because I, I don't know about it. Or people just want the simplicity. Like we did a survey on an average people spend 20 to 40 hours planning like a trip. And that's a lot of time. And so for a lot of people, they say, I, I want an expert to do this. I don't want to make mistakes and I don't have 20 to 40 hours to do this. And uh, one person said to me once was she had been joining group tours and she said, this is incredible. I can now get like a private trip for about the cost of the group tour. I was joining group tours. I didn't like them, but that was my only option because like I didn't want to plan everything myself. And if you think of a group tour, they can be great. You meet, you meet some great people, but a lot of group tours go wrong because you can't control who's on them, when they start, where they go, how long you stay in places. And so our kind of goal is we want to, we want to end the group tour by giving people these private experiences with the people they care about because travel is so important. If you can do it with people you love and make these memories together and not have Carl from Milwaukee that gets blotto on the bus every day or, you know, somebody else that, you know, is, oh, they're saying inappropriate things and ruining the trip. If you can just do it with the people you love, then it's like the most important memories you'll make in, a, in any given year. I completely agree on that. And do you have any any moments with clients where their life changed for the better? Or was there any client, I'm sure you have many, but is there any clients that you remember who, you know, were maybe going through like some kind of crisis and really needed this and their eyes were open when you're like looking at this like glacial lake somewhere in the Rockies? I think almost everybody going on an, an adventure and unplugging it, it changes your life. It makes you uh, a different person, especially when you're traveling and you're in different places or in the world. You're not in big cities. You're connecting with small communities. You're getting to know people more authentically. But there's two that come to mind. One was a woman and uh, she had battled cancer during the pandemic. She'd beaten cancer, but during that time, she couldn't connect with any of her, any of her friends. And so they did a bike trip in uh, Italy and Czech Republic, I believe it was. And it was a way for her to celebrate and reconnect with her friends after beating, you know, being cancer. And you think, imagine being by yourself during cancer and you have no one to support you and you're just having Zoom calls. And that was something where our whole team was was uplifted by that and just being able to help them achieve that. And we put on a celebration dinner for them just so they could kind of like let their hair down and just like reconnect and celebrate this, you know, really, really important thing. The other aspect I really loved was there was a grandfather who was Greek. He lived in England. His grandchildren lived there as well. 
And he really wanted to connect with his granddaughter and he wanted to share like his life in Greece. And we had a walking tour that went on uh, one of the islands where he had been born and brought up, went past like the, in the village he grew up in. And so he booked a trip with his, I think she was seven or eight year old granddaughter. And they did a walking tour where he kind of showed her Greece and showed her where he'd grown up. And I just, it made my heart melt just thinking this, he got to build this relationship with his granddaughter, have, you know, no parents around. So it was like really just the two of them and then share his culture and his life. Uh, and I just, I just thought that was incredible in terms of like the power of doing this. Again, he, he didn't know how to do all this himself. He was 75 or something. He didn't know how to arrange all these things. He didn't know how to get his luggage transferred or he just wanted something simple. And so it was just this incredibly powerful moment for him and for his granddaughter and, you know, for both of them, they'll remember that for the rest of their lives. That must be the, I'm guessing, it must be the most rewarding part for why you do what you do. Yeah, like every day, all of us on the team, like we're helping people take, you know, be in the place where they can take a photo that's going to end up on their wall or like have the story they're going to tell when they meet up with people. And uh, it's it's rare where you can have a job where you impact people so dramatically. Uh, it's also a huge responsibility. Like we're all uh, adventure travelers ourselves and it's not just something where it's like, oh, this is fun. If it goes wrong, say la vie. We know that people take their time off from work. They fly around the world. They spend the time. You know, travel is also messy, so things can go wrong. And so, how do we how do we do our best to make sure things don't go wrong? And when things do go wrong, recover and you know make sure the trip's still a success. You know, sometimes uh, taxis can't find you. Your flight's late, and you miss a day of your trip. Uh, there's all these little things that can happen. And for us, it's just a huge responsibility to make sure that people have these incredible, incredible memories and incredible time together and get to know themselves better, others better, different cultures and communities. How can we travel and be responsible to nature and different cultures? Like, is teaching safety and ethics kind of, it sounds like it's part of exactly what you do and built right in. Yeah, so so we work with local tour operators exclusively. So people that live and love the places like they're working. And I think a big aspect of travel is when you can support local communities and you can, you know, get to learn about local communities and you know, you can get that connection, not just you see a village outside of a bus, but if you're walking through a village and you have an experience with a, a local family for a meal or, you know, you get to see a woman's collective or an indigenous collective. I think it's those experiences that allow us to understand, understand where we're going. Uh, another big aspect of, of active travel is we're kind of, you know, we're not driving around. We're not, you know, usually flying around. It's this slow travel. So you can kind of see how nature evolves as you're walking, see the differences in communities. And I always think it's, it's the best way to open our minds to the beauty of nature and the beauty of different places and different people. And so sustainability from how do we preserve things? Well, we preserve what we like and what we love. And you don't love something from the window of a bus or from the window of a plane. You love it, you know, sitting on a bike or walking through a village and getting to experience that firsthand. Is there anywhere you and your family have not been that you're like, you know, the world's a big place, but is there anything else that what's on like your future bucket list in the next couple of years? What are you going to do? So when I got married, my wife and I did the GR5, which is a walk from Geneva, essentially from Geneva to Nice. It doesn't start at Geneva. It starts on Lake, Lake Geneva or Lac Lamont. 
And that was just a transformational experience. My favorite trek I've ever done. I love the Alps. I love the refugios and bivouacking, you know, by little lakes in the middle of nowhere. So kind of everything we're doing here in Canada is to get the kids able to handle that at 700 kilometers. Most days are kind of 20 kilometers with a thousand meters carrying a backpack. And so that's, that's what our dream is. And I don't know exactly when that's going to be right now. We're debating next summer. Do we go to, do we go to Peru? Or do we go to the Alps and do something like the Tour de Mont Blanc? And so um, it kind of doesn't matter, though. Like, I think no matter where you go, you know, having the phone turned off, having these moments where everyone's engaged and uh, seeing a different place, like the discussions are so varied because you have all experienced whatever you experienced that day, whether or not it's a great gelato or a great, you know, pain au chocolat or a cool view or going up a cable car or, you know, even finding a fun playground. like. It's all about having that that spur that you have something to talk about and share. And usually that leads to a bunch of other fun discussions. You know, you offer these trips, you have a lot of resources, trail guides, gear reviews. Why is it so important to educate people on travel? So I think the goal for me is there's a lot of things that can go wrong in doing this. And there's a lot of terrible information. And so just trying to help people have a better experience. Uh, I've always, I've always said, if I can get someone out into nature for a week and the weather isn't terrible, their, their lives are going to be changed. They're going to do that again and again for the rest of their life. And so it's just helping people along this journey, helping them take the first step. And that first step, you know, for some people, that first step is I just want to go on a day hike in the Rockies to, I want to do a backpacking trip, or I want to go on my first bike tour. Uh, or some people that I've talked to in the podcast, they like their first big step is walking around the world or cycling around the world. What's interesting is like all of us, no matter how big our journey is, it's a very similar journey. And on the Camino de Santiago, they say, walk your Camino. Don't try and walk someone else's. And that's kind of all of our journeys. They're separate. But why we're doing them is, is so similar to find this, this feeling of joy, this feeling of, you know, just feeling good and doing something that we're we're really passionate about. Something that comes up a lot in this podcast is, you know, a lot of the people I, I interview are outdoorsy or scientists or athletes, but a lot of them say they don't realize the effect nature has on them until they've spent several days indoors. And you've said it several times, you know, you go on your adventures with your kids and there's no tech and you genuinely connect with your family and something that, you know, is severely lacking in 2023. I'm assuming that you can relate to that. You don't realize how much you appreciate nature until you're inside and, and you know, the smoke is too terrible and you can't go outside because the smoke's hazardous or the rain is awful or, yeah, I just, um, I feel like you can relate to that. I'm feeling that right now. So the last three months, I was in a, a tech accelerator, traveled to a trade show in Japan, and then came back and had a few weeks and traveled to a trade show in Jordan. And I haven't actually been in the mountains in like two months. And I'm like, I feel stressed. And actually, I said to my wife, I'm like, we got to get out, do something because I just, you know, it, it feels like an anxiety and I know that, you know, just being outside in nature for a day will take that anxiety down. I don't even know why I'm anxious, but I, I've just felt it since I, I flew back on Sunday. And I'm like, is it jet lag? Or I'm like, actually, it's just being busy and not having time just with nothing to do. So yeah, there's something about being in nature. It feels right, or it just resets the body. And for me, even just a day hike's good, you know, going for a weekend camping or backpacking, that's kind of like the holy grail a lot of time. And it's achievable, something we can do really easily here in Calgary. 
Even even in COVID, I think the most underrated exercise is just walking. I, I make it outside, even, you know, some days being self-employed, like some days you can barely leave your desk. And that's kind of one of my days today. But I make it a priority to get out for a walk. It's sunny here in Ottawa today. I'm like, I am not missing this opportunity. Fall is my favorite time of year, right? It's just so essential to mental health. And yeah, I know, again, I know that you can feel the same way on that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I interviewed a woman, Annabelle Streets, who uh, has a book all about walking, and she's done a ton of research. And what she kind of shared is there's just a litany of research coming out of top tier universities on the benefits of walking and cycling. So these long and slow activities, and it's kind of obvious the benefit on cardiovascular mus- muscle, joint health, but the mental health benefits, it's, you know, Tons of, tons of researchers saying, Hey, this is, this is really incredible. And, you know, it sounds, you know, you and I both realize there's something going on, but, um, they've done studies about the impact of nature on just kind of general happiness, just with short bursts. They've done studies around nature and being outdoors in terms of dealing with clinical depression. There's all the studies, you know, it's been well documented back to the Greeks about going for a walk and in, impacting creativity. And then kind of for me, the big thing is the, these relationships and, uh, going for a walk, even if with people I don't know, I'm in a hiking club. You know, when I go to these conferences, usually there's like a little adventure beforehand. And just having six hours talking to somebody with no fixed discussion point, no fixed end point, it's just really refreshing as opposed to kind of all our discussions are almost, they're not transactional, but you know, you go meet somebody for lunch, you know, you have one hour and it's very structured. Whereas when you're out on the trails, could be four hours, it could be eight hours. Conversation just meanders in these really interesting directions. And you get to know these people, you know, that, you know, I used to hike with a bunch of posties that were all retired. And it was really fun just to get to know these people. They were, you know, more than double my age. Uh, but we had great discussions and, you know, had so, so much in common, even though we were living really different lives. You also have the 10 Adventures podcast. What kind of outlet is it for you? At what point were you like, I need to start a podcast. I need to talk to other people who adventure. What is it for you? So selfishly, it's like I talk to one interesting person every week and I just like hearing. And so when I first started this, I was really interested in like the journey to learn, oh, are there some cool places I can go to? What I'm interested now is the impact of how on outdoors and these adventures have on people. And as I said earlier, I remember I talked to one guy, it was his first bike tour, 10 days, I think it was Amsterdam to Budapest or, you know, Frankfurt to Budapest, something like that. And for him, that was momentous. And then the next week, I talked to a guy who'd spent seven years walking around the world. And they were so similar, their feelings and the impact. And I thought that was really powerful. And just, you know, kind of finding your tribe, they always say, I feel in talking to all these people, all of almost all of whom are way more adventurous, they've done incredible things. But there's kind of this this similarity between us. And kind of my goal is to let people know there's another way to live out there. Like not to be afraid to take that first step. And the first step doesn't have to be gigantic. And uh, often if you hear other people doing it, you think, oh, maybe I can I can do that. And so that's that's really the goal is to help people take that first step. In my case, my first step was my first big trip. I was in a in a bookstore in London. And I just found this book, Walking the Pyrenees. I didn't know anything about the Pyrenees. Bought the book and like a month later, I'd quit my job and was walking the length of the Pyrenees. And if I hadn't seen that book, I don't know what would have happened. And so hopefully every once in a while, somebody tunes into the podcast and says, oh, I am going to go bike across Europe or I am going to go walk Alta Via or the Via Alpina or you know, one of these great paths. It takes one book. It takes one podcast. It takes one article. That's all it takes. 
And thank you so much for putting so much work and effort into all your resources and your adventures and your travel. And I, I know it's no small feat. So really looking forward to seeing where this goes. And yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to join you on one of these the next time I'm out West. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I know it's a beautiful place here. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Really appreciate it. Excellent. It's been great to be on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.